0: Hey, good morning. <clears throat> My name is Mark, and uh, I just want to kind of start with a shout out to the uh, creative team. It's pretty amazing these uh, graphics and bumpers. We like have an idea, and all of a sudden, like they mess with it and uh, make uh, Charlie and I seem a whole lot cooler than we are. At least when I'm walking up, man, I was like, "Man, I feel pretty cool." Hey, uh, you know, I've talked about this quite a bit, and if you know us at all, you know we've uh, we've kind of got an interesting thing happening at our house. We've got a couple of a uh, teenager, and almost teenager, and uh, and these twin toddlers. And you know, through the years of trying to figure out how to be a dad, I've, I've figured something out about myself. I I kind of already knew this. I I'm not a big reader. I uh, I love to listen to things, love to watch things. I think it's mainly because if I if I start to read very long, it takes me forever to get through a book because I fall asleep and then I'll. Wake up, and then I'll read it the next time I fall asleep. So it's just like, you know, to get through very many pages is just, just really difficult. And so in the evenings, you know, a lot of times the babies and when the boys were little, they would ask for a story, and, uh, and I'm not so big on those children's books because, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't always jive with them, and I like to just make up the story myself. And so I would just tell the boys, hey, uh, give me some things. And so Caleb would be like, hey, pirate. Brendan, a volcano. All right, and so the challenge was how do I tell a story that involves a pirate and a volcano? And there's kind of this deep thing in me that I always wanted to tell the boys stories that were where some you know some dude saves the day. You know, kind of paint this vision of life. You know, they uh, they come in and the princess is burning in the flames of the volcano, and you know the pirates attacking, and the guy has to come in. and the, And I had these names for the the hero it was always Bo and Jack. And it was just funny because our youngest is named Jack now. But I was like, and they come in and they, they saved the day. Yeah, you know. I love telling them. Making the story up, you just got so much power, you know. But Jack's not buying it. He, uh, he really wants the book. And just kind of insider secret for dads, uh, he can't read. <laughs> and what he really wants is the pictures, Right? And so what I can do is I can, I can sit there, and I can open it up, and I can do the same thing, but just it has to kind of tie into these pictures that are here, right? So there's the hippopotamus, and there's this, red. but then this happens, oh, look over here, and this, uh, and the other beautiful thing about it is it's on my timetable. See, if you're reading it, you know, you have to kind of read it at a pace, and it's just, man, if it's one of those books that's long, it takes so much time, I'm ready to go to sleep, they need to go to bed, let's do this thing. If you're just saying it, you can kind of go through it. Oh, and then, and then about the time, man, if I figured it out right, where, where they're starting to, you know, it's been enough that they could call it good, and I'm about ready to be done, I can kind of, you know, sometimes turn two or three pages <laughs> and get to that point. And then when I feel like it's good, I just go, and that's the end. And if i played it right, which usually happens, that that not just the end, but the end. And they'll they'll both kind of say, okay, and they'll roll over and they start getting ready for bed. And it's like, it's good. It's good. You know, the uh following up uh behind Easter and this tremendous celebration of, of what Jesus did when he when he came back from the dead and thinking about you know, his miraculous birth and his life. And then it almost feels sometimes like when we come to Easter that we, that we close the book and it's like, all right, the end. You know, that's, that's the story. It's easy for us to just kind of put an exclamation point on it and, and call it good. I, I think the reason that we do that a lot is because there's just this part of us. It's one of the reasons that this is a commandment not to have idols. Because there's this thing in us that wants something physical that we can see and touch. So the Gospels and the story of Jesus in the flesh and the, and the red letters in our Bible, w- which the words he actually spoke, we can really connect with that and sometimes feel jealous of the disciples and the followers that were, that were close to him and got to be with him in the flesh. Because there's that part of us that wants it. Now, if you really talk to uh, like an idol worshiper, most of the time they will say, I, I know that there's not actually uh, – you know, the, the statue's not deity – but it represents it, and it helps me to have something to see and to touch. It's the reason a lot of times people will, will deify another human, because they they been they, they that person. It, they represent that thing to me, and being close to them makes me feel that you know, like there's some power there. And it's really hard for us that when it's spiritual and it's, and it's not tangible, it's harder for us to have this belief and this, uh, this feeling that it's real. friends, it's real. He's alive. And while the resurrection is the centerpiece of this story, we live in the echo of that. And there's a purpose and a place. And there's things that we need to know. If you you think about what happens after that story, one of the reasons I believe it's all true as much as anything is what those followers did in the days that followed. I mean, they went and talked about it, a lot of them gave up their lives. This one dude named Paul, he, he was a devout Jew, and in the beginning he, he opposed that group, but then Jesus met him on this road, and, and man, after that he was changed, and he began to be the one, one of the key leaders who went around talking about it and teaching about who Jesus was and calling other people to follow him. He went all over the place, and one of the places he went was this, this city of Ephesus, and uh, Ephesus is a, a city that was on the west coast of present-day Turkey, a port city that was kind of the center of, of learning. And, um, and they worshiped there this deity named Artemis, and her temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it was uh, kind of a center of culture in that place. When Paul got to, uh, to Ephesus, there were 12 guys that he met there that called themselves disciples of Jesus. And the further he, the more he talked to them, he realized that they had, they had repented of their sin and they had begun to try to follow the, the teaching of Jesus, but they never really had understood what it meant that he, uh, that he could set them free from their sin and to have faith in him for salvation. And so he talked to them about that, and they became true followers of Christ. And then he took this group of 12, and he did, as was kind of his custom, he went to the synagogue. And for three months, he stood up and he taught there and reasoned with Uh, the folks there and uh, as was the custom uh, about three months was the end of it where they had had enough the leaders started to slander and speak against him and so he and the guys uh, whoever had been added to that number they moved over to this place in ephesus called the hall of Tyrannus, and basically that was this uh, event venue in the city you know it was the amp and uh there were probably uh, classes that went on in the morning where there were lectures and things that were taught. And so in the morning, uh, likely Paul would do his day job. He made tents and sold them. But it says that from 11 to 4 every day, uh, every day for two years, he went to this hall of Tyrannus, and he, and he spoke again and, and taught about Jesus and reasoned with the people there. And in Acts 19, it says something crazy. It says that at the end of that time, all living in Asia had heard the word of the Lord. All living in Asia had heard the word of the Lord. That means Paul's teaching had an incredible impact, but beyond that, it means people that were hearing it must have been going and telling other people who were telling other people, because if it multiplied that quickly and all had the chance to hear because of Paul's teaching at this hall of Tyrannus, that's pretty incredible. In fact, as the story goes on, it makes me think about, um, I saw this quote one time that was on a, Gravestone of a missionary that had laid down his life in this place, and on the gravestone they wrote, When he arrived, there was nothing but darkness, but by the time he left, there was nothing but light and It sounds like that 's kind of what happened when Paul came to to Ephesus. God started to do these miraculous things through Paul, and other people were watching it says at this one point that there were uh, there were these rookie Jewish exorcists who were trying to imitate what Paul was doing and and to rebuke this demon. And uh, as they were trying to do that, the demon spoke back at them and said, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And it came out and jumped on them, and they ran out of the house naked and wounded, it says. Then right after that, it says that everybody then gave more and more attention to the power in Jesus' name and began to differentiate between the fake and the real and to give more worship and attention to, to Paul's teaching. Uh, people began to repent and confess their sin. It says that uh, uh, folks that were involved in black magic, that they brought those books together in the middle of the city and they had a big bonfire and they estimated the cost of all those books to be 50,000 silver pieces. And then when it got to the place that it was about at at fever pitch, there was this silversmith named Demetrius. And uh, he and the other craftsmen who made idols that went in the temple of Artemis and people had in their homes, Demetrius says, man, guys, we're in trouble. This movement is about to put us out of business, and it's going to shut down the temple. We're going to have to do something. And so he started a riot, and he got all these guys together, and he got everybody else involved in it, and they went through the city screaming out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! It says it lasted two hours. And Paul, and this is what you got to love about Paul, Paul wanted to step out in the middle of it and to address it. But his friends, you know, and I don't picture, it's like, you know, the guy that like acts like he wants to go to fight, and his friends are pulling him back, and he's, you know... I don't picture I, Paul's the kind of guy that he was probably like going and would be killed, but his friends pulled him back. said, man, that's not a good idea. Why don't you get out of town? And so they convinced him, and he left town. So then now, eight years about later, Paul is uh, imprisoned under house arrest in Rome, and he writes this letter that's called the Ephesians back to this group of people. And it has so much power and is so applicable for us in this room, in the Grove, today. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through it. And we've chosen to name this series Sit, Walk, Stand, which it may seem like it's out of order. Anybody feel that way? So uh, we've kind of adapted that from a little booklet written by uh, a Chinese dude that you need to read more of. The things that he wrote, his name is Watchman Nee. And he wrote this little thing about, the, uh, about Ephesians. And I read it a long time ago. And at first I went, why in the world does it sit, walk, stand? Because you actually sit and then you stand and then before you walk, you know. But what he's pulling from is there's, there's a first section. There's three real clear sections. And the first section talks about, hey, these are the things that you believe. These are the things that we know. And the big picture of that is that God has done a whole lot of things in Jesus. And you need to believe those things and you need to rest in them. And he actually uses the word. Paul uses the word take a seat, you need to rest there, but then he moves real quickly to because you believe these things there's this there 's this unity that happens between belief and behavior, and there 's some things you need to walk in there 's some things you need to do as you as you live on this planet, and you know that uh, that relationship comes up a whole lot of times in the Bible, a lot of times in Paul's writings. One of my favorite times is uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, because you've got 11 chapters of Romans where he's talking about and going through the incredible mercy and grace of God and what he's done in Jesus and how we have life and how, how we've been set free from our sin. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and I'll, I'll say it in King Jimmy just because it's got some power. He says, I beseech ye, beseech is a good word. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren. By the mercies of God, talking about those last 11 chapters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So what's he doing? He's saying, man, this is true, this is true, believe it, believe it, believe it, rest in it, believe it. Oh, but (laughs) because of that, the only knee-jerk reaction to those truths is go and do something. And so we'll take the turn from this is what we know and need to rest in and believe, to this is what we need to go do. And then that part of stand, he's got this last chapter, chapter 6, man, where he goes at something that we don't talk about a whole lot, and I'm excited for us to get there and talk about it. He goes to the place where he says there is a real spiritual realm, and there is a real spiritual enemy. And your fight is not so much against flesh and bone. It's against these rulers and these powers in the, in the dark realm. And there are things that are coming. There is an enemy. We need to take our stand. And God has given us power over. And uh, so we're going to have a lot of fun walking through this Ephesians. I think it has a lot to do with us. And uh, today, with the rest of our time, I'm going to try to walk through chapter 1 and just bring out some real key points. And as I started to kind of prepare for this, uh, I started reading chapter 1, and I realized, man, Paul came out swinging. I mean, he he came out swinging, and swinging in a way that he was just throwing his arms like I wasn't exactly sure where he was going with this thing. In fact, I've got a section of it here. Have you ever read some of the Bible and gone, what? What did you say? Well, that's kind of the way I felt. I mean uh, verse three, beginning of verse three, He said, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved. Amen. How about y'all? But when it's like blessed, the blessed, blessing, blessed. I, 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 you lost me, man. You lost me somewhere back there. It really, it really reminded me. So uh, that story of what happens in Ephesus and in Acts. Right after that, Paul goes to this place. Some of you guys may recognize this story. It's really funny. You know, there's just some funny stories. This is one of those funny stories. He goes to this place, finds out that he re- he's not. He's gonna spend the night. Doesn't really have to leave to the next day. So it says he he got to teaching. And he just kept on talking and talking. Kind of like that. You can feel it. Like he talked and he talked and he talked. And there's this boy sitting in the window sill and he's listening. And he's like, man, please make it stop. He falls asleep. He says he falls three stories, which uh, likely, if it's, if it's like it is in, in India, the first story is your ground floor. So four floors up, this dude falls out and hits the ground. And everybody goes, oh, man, he, he's dead. And they go down there, and Paul picks him up, and he's like, no, he's not. He's, he's good, he's alive. And then they come back up and have dinner, and it says he starts talking again, talks all the way to daylight. That's kind of the way I feel when I feel like the dude fell out the window, like, man, what you, what's even happening? And then I get about halfway through this, and he says that he's, uh, he's compelled to pray for these people. And when he describes the prayer all the prayer kind of points back to this description that he gives at the beginning. So I'm hoping that through the prayer, we can shed light on the blessed, blessing, blessed, blessed. All right? So he says that he's, he remembers that these people are true believers, and he's heard about their faith, and he's heard about their love for the saints, which I think is really big. He, he talks about that beginning in verse 15. So he, belie- he knows that they're true believers, that their faith is real. And then right beside it, here's that belief and behavior He's heard about their love for the saints. They're not just talkers. They're actually walking it and living it, and they have a reputation for it. And so he says because of that, he is compelled to thank God for them and then to pray something specific for them. All right, now, side note. If you were him and you were praying something specific for this this Ephesians, if you were praying something specific for the grove, What's that thing that you would pray? What's that thing that you would ask God to do? If you had to kind of sum it up, what would you ask? I'm going to tell you what he asked, and I challenge you that for your family, for the church, for yourself, that this is just a really good prayer, and it's totally okay to, to you know, like, swipe it from Paul and use it, all right? No, 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 uh, you don't get any demerits for that. I mean, look, we stole Sit, Walk, Stand from Watchman Nee, Um, So, what does he say? He says, man, I'm asking God that you would give them wisdom. That you would give them eyes to see. And then, uh, beginning in verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your hearts, talking to the Ephesians, your hearts enlightened. Not, Not your eyes, physical eyes, but the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that it would be flooded with light, that you could see and understand some things. Do y'all realize how desperate the need is that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened? These things of Jesus and these things of God are way beyond us. It's not just like we sit around and we talk about it and it's just something you just easily grasp. For some reason, it, it seems really hard, even some really simple ideas. I mean, the idea of the gospel, that we're really broken and hopeless and that we need to accept it, see it, be repentant of it, and accept that he has to come in and do the work in us. I just said something that seems really, really simple, but I promise you it is hard to get your mind around that because we so bad don't want to sit. We want to try to do it ourselves. It's deep in us, and we need the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened, to understand it. And he said there's some specific things that you need to know and you need to be enlightened to. The first one he says, he says, Uh, that you may know what is the hope to which which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. The second thing, uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? So you've got hope, the riches of his inheritance, and the power towards those who believe. Hope, riches, inheritance. We need the eyes of our, our hearts enlightened to understand and to see the hope we have. You know, hope is a powerful thing, right? I mean, you take hope out of a situation, and all of a sudden that situation ends and is dead. You take hope out of a marriage, and the marriage is over. You take hope out of a government, and the, and the country dies, right? You take hope away from a team that they have some hope of victory, and they've already lost he says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts are enlightened so you understand the hope you have in Christ. You have hope, and hope is talking about it's talking about the future and our, our connection to his will and to his purpose. In fact, uh, if you shed back and go back to earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, according to the purpose of of his will, this happened, that he has a, a will and a purpose, and this is working alongside that. Verse 9, he says, he's made known to us the mystery of his will, that there's a, a mystery that not everyone knows, and and to those who have trusted in Christ, in him, we've been made, We it's been made known to us, this bigger purpose, and this bigger thing that God is doing in the nations, that he's doing in you, this end plan, this end goal. According to his purpose, verse 9, uh, which he set Forth in Christ, a plan for the fullness of time. Verse 11, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Our God is not just kind of fumbling along. He has a plan and a purpose. He's doing something. And in Christ, we get to be a part of that plan and that purpose. And we have hope on a team that's going to (laughs) win. A couple years, three years ago, uh, our older boys... Got into this sport that I know absolutely nothing about, and it feels really funny to know absolutely nothing about it they're 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 wrestling and um and I'll be honest we it started out, and they just they were just getting beat a lot and bad, and we go to tournaments and it was like man, and there's a lot of tears and there's a lot of like man, that's not pretty, and you know, and, and also feeling like, man, there's absolutely nothing I can do to help them, because I don't know this game, and I don't know this sport, and they just got beat, but I don't have a clue why, so I'm like, man, what just happened, because that dude went boop, 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 man, and my kids on the ground, you know, that's, that's not good, and there were a lot of times that we would finish a tournament, and Terry and I would be on the way home, and I would say, is this good, you know, they're in the back trying to recover from their wounds, and I'm in the front going, man, it, should we keep doing this, <laughs> it's not pretty, but then I would meet guys. Like there's a guy that just recently moved uh, moved out of town, that's uh, been at the Grove for a while, named Mike Bell. Mike wrestled at Duke, so I'd come back to Mike and say, "Mike, this happened," and Mike would just keep on saying to me, "Mike's this incredible, uh, this incredible man, incredible, incredible, lover of Jesus," and he would just keep on telling me, "Man, it's working. This this thing is trust. Just trust it, man. It just takes time." And what I saw is all of the hardships. Every time they got knocked down and had to get back up, every time they kept on coming, something was happening. Something was working in them. And I realized at some point that my hope is not that they win the tournament. There's a bigger thing that I'm hoping in. I'm hoping that this process turns them into men who are disciplined and who, who get what it means to work hard and to get what it means to get knocked down and to get back up, that get... James chapter 1 says we're supposed to consider trials and hardships joy because they teach us how to persevere. As a father, what better can I give my sons than to teach them how to persevere? But somehow when the dark night comes, I have to believe that this is going somewhere. Last weekend, Caleb got thrown at this tournament and broke his collarbone. He went like that. And uh, he had to have surgery on Monday. And he's like, I've never had surgery or a broken bone. So he goes, Dad, what's this going to be like? And I said, dude, I don't know. You're in uncharted territory, bro. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you, man. You tell me. You know? And, and, but here's this thing, man. But I'm believing, and I have hope. In Christ, we have hope. There is something that's going on. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel. In the dark night, Sunday's coming, right? He'll show up. And he says we need to know and understand and grasp this hope that we have. The second thing he says, we need to understand the riches of his glorious inheritance. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll go in at night with, uh, with twins, and it's usually Jack that starts out, that he'll go, Daddy, I'm scared. I'm scared. And the doctor will say, Yeah, I'm, I'm scared too. And, uh, and it happened the other night, and I said, What? Have you guys forgotten who your daddy is? You don't know who your daddy is? Do You think a monster can be in the same house with your daddy? No. You think you need to be scared of something hurt? You think your daddy is going to let somebody hurt you guys? No. Where's the monster? And they both pointed over at the closet. <laughs> so I said, all right, give me a second. And I went in, and I shut the door, and I banged around. Terry was upstairs. she could hear me banging around. I was banging around in the air. Take that, monster! Take that! Take that! And then I walked out, kind of wiped my brow. All right, it's done. No more monsters in the house. You guys go to bed. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> you know, I think we've forgotten who our daddy is. Our daddy who owns everything. Our daddy who has... Spent probably the longest building project ever. Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for us. And you know, those building projects that take a while I means it's going to be pretty, pretty awesome. This incredible father, we are his sons and daughters. That's our daddy. And he says, You need to know it. You need to you need to live in that reality. He says in verse 3, he has blessed us in Christ with every Spiritual blessing. Verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, he's predestined us. This wasn't something that he just kind of came up with on the fly. This is something that in eternity past he had planned, and he's working out a plan. He's predestined us for adoption, to be part of the family. Not just followers, but children through Christ Jesus. In verse 11, he says, in him we have obtained an inheritance in verse 13, he says, He sealed us with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance, as a down payment. That means that the Spirit of God has indwelled the believer, and we get a taste of it now, what it feels like to have his power and his presence with us. Our daddy is incredible. We need to know the riches of his inheritance. In that last piece, he says, His incredible power towards us who believe. In verse Uh, 4 in chapter 1. He says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us and said that we would be holy and blameless. If you you know yourself and you've looked at your life the way I've looked at mine, you know that the possibility that I would be holy and blameless means this God is powerful. Right? And he did something incredible in Jesus. In verse 7 it says, in him We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. His great power and his great grace and mercy, he's forgiven us. Then he goes on to say, according to the riches of his grace, and I love the way he says this, which he lavished upon us. He lavished his grace and mercy upon us. Our great, incredible, powerful God. I don't know if you had this growing up, but I'd be out mowing the yard, and uh, man, a lawnmower would always break. And I'd sit there for an hour trying to start that thing, and it never would start. And I'd call Dad and say, Dad, my is broken. I don't think it's fixable, Dad. I can't get it to start. And he'd come home for lunch and walk out there and go, And it got to be this thing, like, man, are you kidding me? We'd also start to wrestle a little bit, and he'd put a hand on me. And you know that daddy grip? I started to call it daddy power. Like, I could do whatever I wanted to do, but he had daddy power. Well, it's kind of fun to be the daddy now, because it happens. Like, I'll walk up, Caleb's trying to start a lawnmower, and we'll start, and I'll walk out there. You know? We'll start to wrestle, and all I got to do is just go like this. Daddy power. You realize that your daddy is really, really... Your idea of power in your situation is so small and insignificant because you're thinking about what you bring to the table. Paul is asking that we would get our minds around that our daddy is big and powerful and the things he does, we can't even fathom. That's your daddy. These are the realities that we need to hold on to and that I'm asking today that we would walk out of here and grip. That we live in the middle of a story that's not ended, a story that's that's happening and we get to be a part of it. But we can walk around and be hopeless. We can walk around poor and we can walk around like we're weak. But that's not who we are as children of God. We're full of hope, riches, and power and we should walk around like it. We should live like it. We should walk out of this place with our head held high, in that knowledge of who we are in Christ. One more thing that happens uh, at bedtime. I, uh, Darcy's usually the one that says this. She'll say, "Daddy, can I can I come get in your bed?" And uh, I said, "No, baby, you can't. You can't come get Mom and Daddy's bed." Say, can I can I come when the sun comes up? And Jack calls that a uh, sunny day. When it's sunny day, can we come? Yeah, baby. When the sun comes up, you can come jump into bed with mom and dad. But for now, this is where you stay. And you guys sleep and sleep good. You got nothing to fear. The monsters have been taken care of. You rest. And then the day's coming that you can come and time's coming you can come and get in the bed with mom and dad and that's what Jesus did after the resurrection he, he set the stage he left us a purpose to do and there's going to be some dark days and some hard times and we're going to want to be with him really quick and we're going to wish we had his physical presence with us but that's not the game because he's doing something He's not done yet. There's a lot of people who haven't heard this story. There's people that you work with that haven't, the people that you go to school with that haven't, your family. There's a, there's a purpose and a reason that he's given us breath today. And there's a day coming that it's going to be a sunny day, and we'll be with him. But today we've got a purpose, and we need to know these things. So let me pray that we would. Father, I, I ask you that these things that Paul prays for the Ephesians. I ask them for for us this morning that you would fill this room with enlightenment. That you would flood light into our hearts that we could see and understand that this isn't just some religion. This isn't just some uh, group of facts that we need. This is is deeper and broader than that. It's something significant that has happened in us. And the power of it, it's, it's sad that we don't walk in it. So I'm asking you that you would fill us with hope that you would fill us with an understanding of, of what we have in you, the riches of our inheritance as your children. And, Father, the, the power that we get to walk in. Because our daddy didn't, didn't leave us. You are with us and in us. I praise you, God, that that's true. I love you. Amen.